Welcome back. Ken Gloss of the Brattle Bookshop is joining us here uh, on studio to talk about, well, about uh, his story at the Brattle Bookshop and his family story, but also about a special appearance coming up here in Quincy later on this week. But you're lucky because we've got him here first. Ken, it's great <laughs> to see you again. <laughs> it's always great to see you. And, and there's a million stories because when you talk about books and old books, almost every book, Somebody thought it was interesting <laughs> that they published it. <laughs> That's and, right. And, and when you're dealing with people and talking with them, people are fun. They're well, fun you and I are a story. We go back a very long oh, way, uh, back to WJDA days and um, Roy Lind uh, before that at that same station, too. But, yeah. but that's one of the things. And when I come to the library, it's Wednesday, I think. It is definitely Wednesday the 13th at 6. Yeah. Uh, I tell some of these stories, tell some of the things going on, I bring a few things, show them off, uh, do question and answer, because I know what I'm going to say all the time. Right. Question and answer makes it fun. And then probably what draws people in is at the end of the talk, anyone who's brought any books, I look at them, give them a quick idea of the value. Most of them, actually it's surprising. Once in a while, someone brings in something really valuable that's worth X thousands. I recently did one, and they had the first American black woman poet in the 1700s, Phyllis Wheatley, hmm. had signed it. Her first book of poetry, $75,000. Wow. But l most people bring things in. I have very nice ways to say <laughs> it's not worth anything. <laughs> It's a lovely what, cover. <laughs> but, but what the surprising part about that is, probably 90% or more of those people are thrilled. They go, great, we don't right? have to worry about this anymore. Oh, we, isn't that interesting? We, we can give it to the grandchildren. <laughs> we can, the library. Let the dog right play with it. But <laughs> exactly. We, we can read it. Yeah, well, so, that too, right? So yeah. a lot of times, people are just as happy when you tell them, don't worry about it. Right. Just have fun with it. Yeah, tell us the story of the Brattle Bookshop because it's it goes back a long way in your family. <laughs> it goes back a, well. It goes back a long way before my family. Back to the early 1800s, really? 1820. I didn't know that but for all practical purposes, it was going out of business in 1949. Okay. My father was getting married. My mother had a five hundred dollars. With that, they bought half interest in the Brattle Bookshop. Oh. No, it was a dead, basically a, a gone business. Mm -hmm. This was 49. There was a little street where City Hall in Boston is now called Brattle Street. We've never been in Cambridge. Okay. The street doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's where City Hall Plaza is. Oh, okay. And then we've had seven different locations over the year, mainly due to urban renewal. Yeah. In 1969, my father moved to West Street, which is where we are now. Okay. We're an old wooden building. Uh, well, brick on the outside. Burnt down in 1980, oh. literally. Burned down. Gone. Gone, okay. 100%. Essentially no insurance. <laughs> we rented for a while and then we bought the building next to the lot. And we've been there uh, since 1983. And I hope to oh. do this forever. People ask me, well, what's going to happen? I said, well, I'll just live forever. <laughs> Simple, easy. But I love what I do. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I go out to houses. It's almost like being Jim Hawkins on Treasure <laughs> Island every day. And sometimes it's very rare and valuable books. Sometimes it's just good general books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but that hunt and that search and bringing back and finding something for a customer that wants it. It keeps you going. It, it keeps you going. Yeah. And 
I, like I say, I never plan on retiring. So born and bred in the Boston area? I grew up in Dorchester. Okay. Uh, okay. I went to high school in Boston. Okay. Uh, after college, I have a degree in chemistry from the University of, of Massachusetts. Of course, why wouldn't well, you, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> well, actually, going into a family business, yeah. the hottest part was working for my father, and I knew I had something else I could do. And, uh, <laughs> plan B. <laughs> plan B. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and after college in 1973, I said I'd try it for a year. That was what, 50, 50 years, years ago? ago. ago. Yeah. And, and I don't regret it for a minute. Wow. And, uh, the one thing is my wife, you know, now that I'm getting a little bit older, she says I only work half a day. I get in at 5.30 in the morning. Yep. The store closes at 5.30 in the afternoon. Oh, That's 12 so hours. So 12 hours. It's <laughs> half a day. <laughs> Very good. But, but I love it. And yeah. that's probably the main thing. Well, that is, it, it, who is it that said uh, if, you, uh, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life? Well, I... I there's a few days. Yeah, well, There's yeah, a few yeah. days in there that when the air conditioner doesn't work <laughs> or the roof leaks, those are the ones that get me. When right. a great book comes in, no, that's not it Makes working. it all worthwhile. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the kind of the status of the independent bookshop in America these days, Ken? Well, I, I mean, we're a used and secondhand bookstore, okay. so that's a little different than the new bookstores. Okay. But actually... It went through a period where the Barnes and Nobles and the Borders bookstores sort of put a lot of the general stores out, and then yeah. Amazon put Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. And it's funny because, as far as new bookstores, they're actually doing quite well. Okay. Because people now want the local bookstore. Yes. They want a store that will cater to the, you know, I just saw you do something on the shipyard where someone you walk in and do you have any books on the shipyard oh, okay. or the history right. of Quincy yep. or Boston so they like the local people also like shopping just as a social thing you yes. meet other people talk so that actually is coming back the local specialized maybe with events now a store like mine which is used in secondhand mm -hmm. uh, a lot of that uh, is done online now but mm -hmm. The real thing that keeps me in business is real estate. We own the property. Oh, okay. And that's one of the key things for a used secondhand bookstore because I assure you, it's not the most efficiently run business <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and maybe if we didn't own the building, we might not have be able to afford the rent. Things would but, be different, yeah. But that was very planned. Yep. It was a very much a decision. So it's not by accident. Okay. But yep. It keeps me having fun in the staff at the store, and yeah. my wife works there, and it's it's fun. I was thinking too, probably during the pandemic. Tell me if it's true or not, but you know, folks had a lot of time on their hands, so they could read books, right? Uh, the pandemic, boy, am I happy that's over. Oh, well, everybody uh, is. Uh, I'll be quite honest. The PPP helped a lot. Personal protective. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the loans. But one of the things that I think helped us a little is. When you have a new bookstore and a new book comes out, let's say the newest John Grisham or Stephen King, if someone comes in and buys it uh, from you, mm -hmm. that's great. But if they bought it from Amazon, it doesn't. They get the same book. Okay. If you lose that one sale, you've lost a lot. Yes. Whereas used books, we get thousands of books in, but they're all different. Yes. They're, they might be 500 years old, they might be relatively new, yeah. but you only get one copy and you can only sell it once. Uh, so whether you sell it this week, next week, or six months later, yeah. it sort of helped us through the pandemic. Also, um, one of the very interesting things, it was a tough time. Yeah. I mean, 
also, because we had a fire 50 years ago, mm -hmm. we have a reserve fund just for emergencies. Now, we didn't expect a two-year emergency, right. but we do worry about that. But one of the things that's happened after the pandemic that we found very interesting is the older customer that we used to have, the, basically the older white man. They were in the office buildings. The offices are trickling back. They're still not huge numbers of tourists oh, are coming back. Interesting. All the people who couldn't come during the sure. pandemic. Yeah. But the other thing about that that we find fascinating is the average age is probably 30 to 40 years younger. Really? Uh, much more diverse, much younger. Okay. And it's greatly encouraging because yeah. people in their teens, 20s, 30s, they love, old, they love books yeah. and they're reading and studying. And well, it means a good thing for the future of the business. It's what helped vinyl records kind of make a resurgence also, right, as the younger generation thinking yeah. that's something novel and unique, it, you know? It, it's retro. Yeah, exactly, it, yeah. It, and the other thing is books that are in the 1920s yep. are 100 years old now. Right, yeah. So we're not dealing just with the 1820s or right. whatever. Yeah. Um, speaking of old books, you always bring uh, some fun things with you, and I see some interesting tidbits on the counter here. Well, I, I brought yeah. one in, in this, because it had some local interest, yep. Santor the Lighthouse. Okay. And the reason I brought this in is this is about Edward Rowe Snow, oh. Quincy yep. character, to say Set the least. A little bit higher, there we go. Uh, yep. uh, to say the least. Yeah. But what he used to do is every Christmas, he would hire a plane and fly out to the lighthouses along New England, mm -hmm. and he'd drop off, what do they need in lighthouses where there's not a lot doing? They need books. Okay. Guess whose father gave him all the books <laughs> that he would drop? So my father, the character, really? would get to together with Edward Rose Snow, wow. who was a character, yep. and, uh, and then they'd provide dropping books off at uh, the lighthouses along New England, okay. and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And that's and the story of that? that that's yeah. basically the story of, uh, but, uh, you know, it got both of them a lot of recognition yeah. and interest, and it was a Christmas thing, right. and, and they had it. <laughs> Interesting. This uh, okay. is, for anyone who remembers Filene's, Yes. This is a book that Filene's put out at Christmas time just to keep their name out there, yep. telling where their stores were. This was a story. But one of the things that, remind, that this always reminds me of, is, and I always wonder how the book got written and the movie got made, Miracle on 34th sure. Street. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what PR person <laughs> for Macy's yeah. thought up writing a book <laughs> and having a movie you know, so you don't really think that it was an advertisement. Right. It's a fabulous Christmas movie. It's a great movie, story, yeah. But Macy's but, but over, is front and, and so, center in the background. And I'm sure yeah. Filene saw the same thing for the Boston store. Oh. They don't exist anymore, but it's, they, it's a lot They were of hoping fun. somebody would make a movie out of that, too. Yeah. Probably now, <laughs> never did. Now, this, I'm going to divert completely away from Christmas okay. on this. All right. And probably something that they wouldn't expect me to show on Quincy TV. Uh-oh. All right. What? Playboy. Playboy magazine. Now, if you notice, it's sort of a plain cover. Yes. And I'm going to open it up. Oh. Be ready for this. we have to edit? <laughs> Playboy in Braille. Seriously? Seriously, Playboy in Braille. Wow. And it's about the writing. 
There are no It's just the articles. There are no pinups <laughs> no or pictures in Braille. No centerfolds. It, it, it's actually an interesting thing. This one now, was done in the 1970s. Okay. And there was, the United States government actually subsidized printing this. The, the, for people who were handicapped or blind sure, sure. through the 60s, 70s, there was a big government push to do Newsweek, uh, oh, Life magazine, okay. uh, a lot of the newspapers and so on in Braille because people in Braille. And you didn't have uh, apps and, that and, could and read good, it to you, you know. Good yeah. housekeeping. And there were a lot of people who were blind yeah. who said, we want Playboy. Interesting. I mean, there were, you know, quite honestly, you go back into the when Playboy started in the 50s, yeah. and there were some great, great writers who mm. wrote for Playboy, and they wanted to have it and be able to read yeah. it. Now, is that it, valuable? Does that have... Uh, uh, this, this one, it, it, when I first got it, yeah. I didn't know whether it was rare or not. It came in with a large library. And it's the main value of this is every single time I've shown this to anybody, they smile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they smile. All right. <laughs> Probably fifty to a hundred dollars. Okay. Is, All right. Uh, but there was a huge controversy in the Congress. Some of the more conservative Congress people in the nineteen seventies oh. wanted this band, or at least they didn't want the U.S. government in any way sub subsidizing Isn't that the Play Playboy. It actually went to court, had a big controversy, and the uh, people publishing it for the disabled blind one one okay and so it, I've never done heard that story before yeah and, yeah. and well <laughs> why <laughs> the reason if everybody knew about it it wouldn't raise the same smile well, that's and have true, a lot I suppose. of the fun of it that's true and, and that's again you you find things like that you find people who are in, and you never know what they're going to be interested in yeah. we bought a large collection and this is a number of years ago of um, and this is a story and the type of story that I'll tell when I do the lecture at the library on oh, Wednesday Oh, right, you're here night. Wednesday night at uh, 6. Yeah. Yes, okay. So, but we got a large collection of cookbooks in, a couple of thousand cookbooks. Wow. Some of them went back to the 1700s, really? 1800s, okay. and some were more up to date. But there was a whole bunch of sort of these little pamphlets, like how to make Jello, Baker Chocolate Company, yeah. Uh, how to they're, they're small. Yeah, yep. Ocean Spray very, put out one for cranberry. Yeah, yeah and they're yeah. very pretty and nice, and some are valuable, but most of them are a few dollars. And I said to my assistant, I said, put it out, put the whole box outside, a dollar a piece. There are going to be some bargains, but we need to spend the time on the value okay. of books. Yeah. They put about on our dollar table, and we have dollar, three dollar, five dollar, a whole outside bookstore okay. when it's not raining or well, snowing. <laughs> right. uh, about two hours later, a man comes running into the store <laughs> with a pamphlet Go! I've been looking for this for years and years no and years and saying, uh, he was, it's hard to describe how happy and beside wow. himself was. Uh, and he says, and it's only a dollar and a, and, and going on and on, and I finally look at <laughs> what it. What was it? Yeah. The, the title of the book was Coconuts and Constipation. <laughs> <laughs> you never, ever know <laughs> what's going to... And where else would you find that? <laughs> <laughs> but he was so thrilled, and he's still a customer, and any time well, it gets brought up, he says, oh, yeah, it's still... <laughs> <laughs> he said, so, I feel great now. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, again, it's someone running in, and you have yeah. a very rare and valuable book signed by a 
an astronaut or right. a, a Charles Dickens or something that's you know really high priced, but you can have just as much time collecting something very yeah. low, cheap, special, or whatever. And you probably had as much fun seeing his reaction as he did to finding that book, right? I keep telling that story, yeah. and I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, and everybody who at work who was there, it was like they almost keeled over. Right. And fortunately, he was a, a somewhat regular customer who uh, the fact that people sort of burst out laughing wasn't offensive to him. No, it wasn't like right. that we right. had to be careful that we were going to offend this <laughs> customer because he liked coconuts and constipation. Right, right, right. <laughs> what is the most valuable book, Ken, that you have ever uh, appraised that's ever come across well, your hands? Well, uh, let me start off by saying that I'll tell about a few things that I actually either have appraised okay. or had. Um, and a lot of times, I deal with this all the time, and, and with books, and, and you still get a chill up your spine. I got a call by a historical society, and I'm going to mention one locally that was fabulous too, but a, a, a historical society, they were loaning something from their museum to another museum. Okay. So they needed an insurance appraisal, which they just needed a number. And I'm a member, and I said, I'll do it for free, but I don't want to do it from your website. I don't want to do it from a copy. I want the original. You want to see it, yeah. And they said, okay. no problem. Okay. Make an appointment. Came down. Four-page, handwritten account of Paul Revere's ride by Paul Revere. Wow. So I'm sitting there holding yeah. this four-page document, reading through. They told me to get off my horse, so they'd blow my head off. Wow. But a week after, this is the fact that that exists. Yes. And you touch it and yeah. hold it. Yeah. Another time, and this was an appraisal. No, wait, how much was that worth? <laughs> oh, uh, at the time, I think I appraised it at about $700,000. Oh, it would probably okay. be more. Okay. But uh, I also got a call once uh, on an appraisal for, uh, they called me and they said, well, we have the Bible that was given to John Adams by the Amistad. Yes, uh, yeah, the Mendy, on, uh, yeah. yeah, the Mendy Bible, yeah. Yeah, it's, which is at the Stone Library here in Exactly, but I got a call, so I got to touch it, hold it, look wow. at it. Uh, and again, that was in the multi-thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars. But the fact Just that the fact you can that actually you touch, touch it, it yeah. or you can go to a museum and see it and hold it, and, and then learn the history behind it just brings amazing things back. Now, quickly, because we're out of time. Yeah. A quick yeah. thing. The most valuable book that I have, and I will say... That's not it. <laughs> well, this, in a way, is it. The oh. Night Before Christmas. Yeah. I have a copy about this period, maybe 10 or 20 years old, older, of The Night Before Christmas that I have read to my children every uh, Christmas Eve from the time they were little infants yeah. to now they're in their 30s. Even to the point of one time recording it on YouTube because my daughter was in Texas and I, she couldn't miss this. Now my grandchildren, yeah. I do that. One of my daughters lives in Nairobi, so I've got to do it eight hours before. Wow. Yep. That copy yep. of The Night Before Christmas is the most valuable, most precious book of that course. I have. Yep. And one of the reasons I didn't bring that copy here today is my w daughter would never let me bring it anywhere because she's afraid either <laughs> I'd lose it, mislay it, or even worse, sell it. Yeah. <laughs> but All right. That in any case, but you know, there's a million stories. Right. There are a lot of fun. The store's fun, and I enjoy talking about it. I love having you here, Ken. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and talking. And 
again, I do a podcast called Brattlecast. Okay. All these stories come to the library. All right. Wednesday night. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you.